The first reading is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. It's his final greetings to them. It's verses 11 to 14. Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send their greetings. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And the Gospel reading is taken from the Gospel of uh, Matthew, and the 28th chapter, reading verses 16 uh, to 20. So hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew, glory to you, O Lord. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, welcome to Trinity Sunday, and let's pray. Father, we thank you that we come in celebration this day to celebrate the divinity of not only you, but your Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. So we pray that as we listen and want to learn from your word, your Spirit will be active in our hearts and minds. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I hardly knew my father. He died when I was five. My brothers were seven and twelve, respectively. And my twelve-year-old brother had just started at the school that my father had attended in Worcester. And I'm very grateful to my mother because she kept the letters that my father had written home from hospital during his last illness. He was in London and we the family were about 100 miles away in Worcester. And at that time, letters by a snail mail were the most usual form of communication. 
I read those letters that my father wrote when I was a teenager. And my unknown father came alive to me through them. And I very well remember the last letter that he wrote. And amongst his other farewell requests, because that was what they were, he wrote that he hoped that my elder brother would become the head boy of the school in due course. He wanted my brother to aim high. So we look at the two readings that we have. They both come at the end of each chapter. And valedictory letters and speeches are often very powerful. They can be inspirational. They can be full of instructions and exhortations. In our Gospel reading, Jesus gives his disciples final instructions. Those instructions are to make disciples of all nations, to baptize those disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he also says that they should teach the disciples that they were going to make, that they should obey Jesus' commands. In contrast, in uh, Paul's letter, second letter to the Corinthians, probably about 20 years later in time, if not in time of writing, Paul signs off his letter to the church in Corinth with warm words. And those last words, verses 14 and 15, are very familiar to all of those who attend Christian meetings. And we have at those Christian meetings some people who have their eyes open, some with their eyes firmly shut. But it's a very well-known way in which we end meetings and bless one another in the words of the grace. So I'd say that that's a very familiar passage of scripture to us. And it shows the working of the Trinity. Grace from Lord Jesus Christ, God's love, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, all working together in unity. But perhaps less familiar to us is Paul's farewell instruction to the Corinthians in verse 11, where he says his exhortations to the Corinthians are that they should aim for perfection. Aim for perfection. I see someone looking at me with raised eyebrows. And I just wonder whether that appears to us as somewhat wishful thinking rather like my father's wishful thinking for my brother's ambition. But I don't know how this sounded to Corinthian ears, but I do suspect, which I think I've just had confirmed, that the words perfect and perfection cause us some difficulty. We all know that we are not without our faults and failings. And I'm not sure how many times you have heard 
the story that if you find the perfect church, don't join it because it won't be perfect anymore. And I think we are all so aware of that. But from what we know in the church in Corinth, through Paul's letters, there was really no danger that the church in Corinth at that time was going to be an entrance in the candidates for the Perfect Church of the Year Award. We know that in the church there was division. There were disagreements. There were lawsuits between believers. There was sexual immorality. But notwithstanding all of that, Paul tells them to aim for perfection. And indeed, earlier in um, the chapter, it's his prayer for them that they will become perfect. And if Paul said that, he was following in the footsteps of his master, Jesus. Because you may recall that in Matthew 5:48, Jesus said, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So perfection must be possible. But what does it mean? Perfection in the sense of being without faults is clearly not being found in the Corinthians themselves. The perfection that was theirs comes through the cross of Christ. It's being in eternal union with the infinitely perfect Christ, God's beloved Son, that perfect is absolute, unchangeable, and attainable for believers. It's a perfection attributed to them through grace through the love of God. It's not deserved. It's not earned. And so it's possible to be perfect, but only in the sense that in Christ, the Corinthian believers and those who follow them are complete and whole and have everything that they need in Christ. Now we think about the challenge. Paul's final greetings are loving and warm, and we enjoy them and we use them. But in his letter, he's expressed strongly his concern that those in in the church in Corinth examine themselves to ensure that theirs is a true or a confession of a true faith, as we've heard in the collect. And that what they're being asked to do is to realize that Christ was in them. This is one of Paul's big themes throughout all of his letters when he talks of Christ being in us. That's being in Christ. And in the letter to Corinthians, Paul concedes that it's possible that some in the church in Corinth will fail that test. 
So for us as for them, perfection in this understanding of it is grounded in faith in Christ and what he has done for us. But my next question is, is that all there is to perfection? And today on Trinity Sunday, I'd like to think that to be in Christ is to be drawn into the life and love that is the relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that keeping steadfast in faith will mean enjoying that same dynamic at work that when we first believe and simply carries on, it continues. And so as our knowing of God, our intimacy with God, Father, Son, and Spirit, increases, so this enables us to flourish in all we do. So that in one sense, whilst we are perfect, we should be being made, becoming progressively more like Jesus. And actually, this journey, this becoming, takes place in the context of fellowship. It's in community, just as the Trinity is a community a relationship of love. And that love overflows. It's the overflowing of that love that is poured out and is poured out into us. So perfection is both a present and a continuing reality and progress for those Paul describes as being in Christ. It's God's work in us, and what he starts, he will finish. Complete and full perfection awaits Christ's return. And as ever, let's hold on to the promises of God that we find in this passage. The promise in Matthew, as Jesus says, And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. And there's this lovely sense of the God of love and peace being with us. And so although this is God's work, there is a responsibility for us. The responsibility for making that progress is ours. We're not to be passive, but cooperative workers. And for all of us, there will be seasons of rapid growth. There will be seasons of plateau. There will be seasons when we simply need God to hold on to us where we are. But in all of this, The aim is to aim high. If we aim lower than high, we will achieve even lower still. And we come as we gather together 
We do come with our faults, our imperfections, everything that Jesus died for us. We confess those and we start again. So I'd like to end in prayer and I would like to end with us all saying the grace together because I can't think of anything more appropriate on Trinity Sunday than to join in with the prayer of the Trinity. So may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.